Welcome to another episode of the Clockwork Kit Podcast. The, I guess, USA-Mexico post-game show slash Panama preview. Today we have Rafa. How you doing, Rafa? Doing great. Uh, how can you not be buzzing after that win on Friday? And what a win it was. No more dos a cero. Well, I don't know. We'll see. U.S. soccer might still... Bust it out to sell more t-shirts, but well, yeah, it was just it was a great game, USA. I mean, what was Clint's been doing with that formation? Yeah, I I don't know. I think uh, let's be honest. I mean, going with three at the back, I I don't know. It was it was a little weird by his part. Uh, I think. Mexico just completely took advantage of that. There's there's a quick anecdote after the game where when a young reporter asked Juan Carlos Osorio about about the formation, about did, did Mexico change the formation like right before the game started, and, and Juan Carlos Osorio indeed confirmed that that Mexico went to four at the back with Bayuna as a left back and Diego Reyes as a right back the instant they saw that the United States were going with three at the back. Because I think even Juan Carlos Osorio didn't expect that. Uh, but... As it turned out, I mean, Mexico just completely cut the United States apart that first half. It, it was just all Mexico. And I think the United States were fortunate the, uh, the score ended at just 1-0 at halftime. Yeah, I mean, when they went that three, I guess with a 3-5-2, and they had Pulisic playing as a uh, as a number 10, even though this year he's mostly been utilized as a number, or like a winger mostly for Borussia. It just they just for the for the first fifteen minutes they could have been down three zero in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's it, well for for starters it, it looked bad for for people like me who wrote a whole preview article, you know, making a big deal about how Pulisic was could have been the difference out on the wing and and here comes Pulisic starting as a number ten. Uh, I don't know if Jurgen Klinsmann was trying to to maybe you know ignite some sort of surprise factor into this game or something. Uh, but it definitely didn't work out. Uh, I thought a lot of people were saying that the, these were the best uh, 45 minutes, uh, first 45 minutes uh, of Mexico under Juan Carlos Osorio. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, I think maybe if they would have been a little bit more effective, we could have. Uh, personally, I would have definitely gone with the first 45 minutes, best first 45 minutes under Juan Carlos, if they would have been a little bit more effective. But Mexico looked great. I mean... Uh, it was only after I think we we can both agree that it was only after the Andres Guardado injury where where sort of the shape of the game completely changed. Yeah, that my finger bad memories, but that uh, little injury break timeout basically when Guardado was on the floor, it kind of reminded me of the water break in uh, the round of sixteen against the Dutch, where Mexico were dominating the game, and then that that water break let Louis Van Gaal reset his tactics. That's kind of what Klinsman did, because from that point on, they kind of switched back to their, their usual four four two formation, and it seemed like they were on the front foot, and they had Mexico kind of retreating for the end of the first half, beginning of the second half. No, you're completely right about that. Uh, I think after the game, again, a little another anecdote by Michael Bradley, where he said it was the players' decision to change formations. They sort of grouped together and said, you know, let's let's go back to a four four two and that's what they did. Uh, I think it worked well. Uh, again, I don't know exactly what Jurgen Klinsmann was was thinking in this game. Uh, I thought maybe at, at first that 
this whole maybe long ball aspect uh, where they had maybe one of the center backs play it long to to Josie Altidore, which I think if we go if if we analyze the players individually, I think Diego Reyes had had an okay game, maybe a little below average. Uh, he went up against Altidore, and Altidore was just completely beating him in the air every single time. Uh, but we talked a lot of, uh, about this before. How, I mean, if you're Juan Carlos Soria and you have somebody going up against Josie Altidore, the best option was probably Diego Reyes. Uh, but I'm not sure what you think about Diego Reyes. Um, I think that the that early yellow card really just when it, when a defender gets an early yellow card and the attackers know that they're just going to keep going at him trying to get that second yellow. I didn't think he was as bad as some people think in the first half, but I think I think he did okay. But that's just I know other some. I mean, what do you think? How do you think he did in the first half? I mean, considering well, he only played forty five minutes. Well, like I said, I, I think he was just getting beat in the air by Josie Altidore on a repeated basis. But I, I mean, he did okay. I, I think he did okay. Uh, do I see him starting against Panama? I think we do, even if it's in the defensive midfielder position, which, again, he hasn't shown to be very good at. Well, at least under when playing with Mexico. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I think he, he was he was okay for me. I think at the end, Juan Carlos sort of confirmed that he took him off because of his yellow card. Uh, and um, But I, they were acceptable for me. I think for the most part, if we analyze this whole first half, Mexico were great and all, but what were the United States doing? I don't know. That's my summary of the first half. Basically, and uh, I, we'll probably get into this a little later, but Vela was just all over the field. I have not seen him. I have not seen that high work rate from him since, since like the 2010 World Cup. I mean, he was just tracking back, making you know, anytime the U.S. even had possession in like the the middle third, he was always tracking back and making sure life was difficult and trying to win the ball right back. No, you're, you're completely right. I'm glad that you brought that up because that, that was quite evident to me for me as well. Uh, I was watching also... with some people, and someone even, someone even said, is Vela playing left left wing back? What is he doing back there? I'm like, no, he's actually just tracking back for once. Yeah, exactly. Well, for for one thing, I think, the, again, back to the element of Diego Reyes where he sort of had to uh, to go inside and try to fend off Josie Altidore when the ball was played on. So that created this huge gap out on the right wing. Uh, and Carlos Vela went ahead and tracked back to every single time. I mean, you saw Carlos Vela go back and try, try to make tackles, try to win the ball back. Uh, it's just something you don't see very often in him. Uh, so I, I was quite happy to see that, that he had that sort of determination, that, that sort of uh, you know, commitment to the team that sometimes we don't see from Carlos Vela. So, so I, I was quite happy to see that as well. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. I just couldn't believe he was just all over the field, and it was just—it <clears throat> was nice because, like, when 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 we I saw the lineup, I know we were like texting back and forth. It's like he was just going all out. He was going all out attack, and I was like, man, I really hope these these wingers like just track back because I mean, you, you're well, not you're not used to seeing Vela and Tecatito so much just tracking back, but they both did their job. You're right because if we if we go back to analyzing just the starting lineups, we thought that Mexico were going to come out with three at the back, and then 
when you come out with three at the back, you, we were thinking here, well, where's the balance in this team? I mean, you have Carlos Vela as a winger, and this guy's definitely not going to track back. Uh, but obviously, Mexico changed into four at the back, and still, sure enough, we still saw Carlos Vela track back and help out Diego Reyes. So it's it's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, the first half was just just attack after attack after attack. And if it wasn't for Tim Howard's fingertip save, Tecatito would have, we would have gone up 1-0 in like the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I think Tim Howard's injury was also uh, a determining factor for, for, for the United States. Uh, I think if we want to go uh, forward into the game and the eventual winner, uh, I don't know what... I think that partly has to do with Brad Frito, I don't. I think maybe he was a little lost when he was ordering his defenders. And you mean Brad uh, Guzan? I, yeah, um, Brad Guzan. Ex, ex, excuse me, Brad Frito. <laughs> they both look exactly the same, so it's fine. One of them is a pundit now, and the other one's statue of fame. But uh, no, Guzan was just you know. I think he he, he was kind of lost. Maybe it was, it was his just first game this... since uh, September for club or country. Yeah, yeah I think he. You sort of, I kind of wrote this about, it was sort of this irony in that, you know, Mexico always lose to the United States on a set piece or a lapse of concentration. And that's what the United States did. And you know, Mexico took advantage and sure enough, they won the game. And one thing to note about that set piece, um, well, just about the tactics in general for the U.S., uh, Klinsman and Bradley were just not on the same Michael Bradley. Yeah. Um, First of all, Klinsman kept saying it was a 3-4-3, which, again, I don't know how anyone saw that as a 3-4-3. But, um, you know, he Klinsman is the one who kept saying that, the, you know, it did not work because of Bradley and Jones, Jermaine Jones in the middle. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I, but then, I don't know. But then uh, in an interview, Michael Bradley said that the team needed clear tactical ideas in the first half. So it was, like, pretty much just... Shots on a uh, Klinsman, so there's some this, there's just some disconnect between those two. Yeah, well, let, let's be completely honest. Regardless of what it was, you know, it could have been a five four one from all I care, but Michael Riley was just awful as well. Which is weird because he's been playing so well for club and country. Because Klinsman finally gave up the idea of trying to, you know pigeonhole him into a number 10 role and just let him be a number six which i think bradley's really good as a number six but i don't i'm not sure because he does play in a three five two playing for toronto fc so but i don't know like i said before just jermaine jones he does not like to stay at home he likes to roam around and when you're playing a new formation and everyone's not familiar and you need to you know stick to your roles if Jermaine Jones is not running around, well, that leaves Bradley by himself. Yeah. See, I, I can see what, what Jurgen Clinton was trying to do, but I don't I don't know. <laughs> Again, for me, Michael Bradley was just not very good. If if you go back to one of the plays where there was a, a 2v1 between Michael Bradley and Bobby Wood, and Michael Bradley just completely missed the pass, I think to myself, if Michael Bradley hits Bobby Wood with that pass, it's 2-1 in the United States take the take this game and take the three points but michael bradley was just not very good in my opinion he was the hector herrera of the usa yeah exactly he was the hector herrera of the united states well let's uh let's just talk about briefly about some guys that stood out to you for the mexico side 
uh, stood out positive. Yeah, let's go with positive. Let's go with positive first. Positively, uh, I think I have to go with um, Layun. I, I like Miguel Layun. I think he he was clearly the man of the match just for the fact that he scored the goal and, and got the assist for for Rafa Marquez's header. Uh, but I, I'll say this because he it's important because in the concept of of what Juan Carlos Osorio is trying to do with his national team, uh, especially in this formation they used, I think Miguel Ayun, Miguel Ayun's role is to sort of go go inside and uh, not just attack back and forth, but sort of you know cut inside, which is what he's used to doing a lot with Porto, and sort of launching. I think under Mexico with Mexico, he's not more he's not much of a crosser because that's just not what Juan Carlos Osorio's style of play is. But he sort of does have the responsibility to cut inside and make something happen, uh, just because in theory, when you have when you're playing with three center backs, uh, natural center backs like was Diego Reyes, uh, Rafa Marquez, and um, the other center back escaped me right now. But when you have three center backs playing, Hector Moreno, there we go. Well, when you have three center backs, he sort of just creates this line of three at the back with Layun sort of adding himself to. To, to the attack and I think we saw that perfectly in the goal uh, where he just you know cut inside and launched a right-footed strike past past Tim Howard so uh, I think he, he he knows that that's what his role is supposed to be in this team and and, and he did well yesterday uh, now I think there's other players again you we mentioned one of them which was Carlos Vela uh, who unfortunately has to go back to Spain because he's going to be a father so he's going to miss the game against Panama uh, but he was certainly somebody who, who looked bright. Again, we should totally point out that fact that he actually tried back and defended. Uh, and I think if, if we see that type of commitment in the future, he's definitely going to be a huge part in Juan Carlos Osorio's team. Um, I think the obvious, the other obvious one is, is Tecatito, who, who again, always looked dangerous, uh, especially in that first half. Uh, but again, the it was just... There's conclusions from this game, but uh, I think that everybody played their part in, in, in to some degree, and and that was important because at the end of the day, Mexico, whether it was by luck or whether they fought for it, uh, whether they deserved it or not, they got the three points at the end of the day. And who scored that decisive goal? Rafa Marquez. <laughs> Rafa Marquez, and I had tons of USA fans just tweeting, anyone but Rafa, anyone but Rafa. Yeah, it's it's sort of, uh, as somebody said, I actually saw somebody tweet, it was heartbreaking for someone <laughs> that, that Rafa Marquez was the one that scored it. So, yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. I, I mean, it wasn't just US fans. There was a lot of Mexico fans who, who I remember were, were just, you know, saying, you know, Rafa Marquez has not been very good in this game or, or he's slowing down or he can only play 45 minutes. I mean, I personally think that you know, he's only good for 45 minutes. But uh, at the end of the day, the old man came through. And even on that, on that goal, on that set piece, on the magical set piece that Mexico won, not, not the U.S., um, Clemson was all over uh, Brooks. He said that was Brooks's fault. And even though Brooks and Altador didn't know, I don't even think either one of them knew if they were man marking or not. And if you go back and watch the replay, you can see Josie Altador sitting, just standing there with his hand on his yeah. hands on his hips, not doing anything. Yeah, no, I completely agree. 
but again it's just i guess if if you're very if you're very uh artistic very poetic with with the way that soccer works uh, like juan carlos sort of likes to be where at the end of the game he says this is this is a prize for for rafa marquez and everything he's done to to the sport in in mexico uh, i guess if you look at it that way then then you know it's it's big moment it's what like i like i say you know big players produce big moments uh, and that was a rafa marquez moment right there uh, he's done it before he did it against uruguay in the copa america if, if you remember and and he did it again right now so in, in that respect it, it's it's you know rafa marquez it's he deserved it it's it's one of those moments that i'm sure as a player he won't forget and, and for those who are fans like ourselves won't forget for and and the goal itself will be remembered for decades to come because of what this U.S. and Mexico rivalry means. On the flip side, let's talk about who struggled on Friday night, and I know we've talked about it. Hector Herrera just he just did not he he was responsible for like the first yellow card for uh, Salcido, who just just he just like slide slide tackled Pulisic. Yeah, <laughs> he just like dove on the floor like a hockey player. Um, and that that was close. Like then Josie had a shot that Talavera had to push push right over the the post. And he was just and he had just a couple bad giveaways. He just he just wasn't it just wasn't clicking. And I know was, if I think if Guardado stayed healthy, I think Herrera might have gotten subbed out. But once yeah. uh, once Guardado went down, there was no way Herrera was coming out of the game. No, you're right. Uh, for me. Uh... I know I brought this up on on the last podcast when we were sort of previewing the game. Uh, for me, one of the games I remember most is this past game at the Rose Bowl between these two teams, where we sort of saw that again. Mexico, if you remember, were were struggling with injuries. Rafa Marquez was struggling with an injury. Andres Guardado at the time was struggling with an injury. They had just barely made the game, and during that time, uh, I remember that that the game itself. Uh, it sort of land for for guys to step up. Uh, I I don't remember precisely, but I think Andres Guardado was substituted off that game because you know he he couldn't play the whole ninety minutes. And who stepped up during that game? It was Hector Herrera. I mean, he just completely took to control the midfield. It, it was great to see because uh, it was sort of this this plan B where if Tuca didn't have Andres Guardado pulling the strings in the midfield, it was Hector Herrera. And I thought to myself, look, this is great. I mean, looking forward towards Juan Carlos Osorio's era, uh, this is going to be important. And when you when you see a guy like Andres Guardado struggle, then you'll see somebody like Hector Herrera, you know, pick up the pieces and, and take control of the team. But unfortunately, that hasn't been the case under Juan Carlos Osorio. I think if there is one player that struggled tremendously under Juan Carlos Osorio, it's Hector Herrera. And sure enough, he showed that that same, uh, you know, that same. He sort of looks like he's he's not even trying. Uh, I don't know what the right word would be, but he's just he doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable out there under Carlos Osorio. Uh, and I think another again this game lent for for Hector Herrera to take over this game and, and do something in that midfield. And instead, he just he just struggled. He struggled. He was just just couldn't connect passes. He was just he had several there were several times he just lost the ball or he tried the cute back heel that failed. It just it wasn't his game. It's just I don't know. It's and he it's just, and this is coming off a tough game over the weekend for him at Porto where he just failed to clear a ball and 
their team scored the goal, and it was a big rivalry game, and a lot of Porto fans were not happy with Herrera. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just been a rough few months. I think, uh, I'm not going to say the game, uh, but that one game from Copa America, which I guess we won't talk about now, <laughs> but Hector Herrera was just, if there was one player that was really bad in that game, it was Hector Herrera. So, I mean, this is the, this is something that's been carrying over for a few months. Uh, I don't know what we talk, we talk, we spoken about fitness. Maybe that's the issue. But I mean, he's been getting benched for Porto on on repeated occasions, so he should be fresh. I mean, uh, maybe it's just a bad moment in his career right now. I don't know. It's just bad, but I don't know. We'll see. He said he has the talent, like you said. He took over the game that at the Rose Bowl. He's still, you know, from time to time can bring it. Just he's just not been consistent, but. The thing with Mexico, the thing that I was just talking about the other day was just, I'm not scared. You know, the guys 11 through 18 on the bench or 11 through 23, I have confidence in those guys. You know, Mexico has yeah. actually, they actually have depth, you know. Or the other goes down, all right, I can bring in Jonah, you know. If Chicharito goes down, put in Jimenez. Tecatito goes down, put in Lozano. I mean, there's very few positions, mostly right back that uh, or left back, that Mexico aren't really deep. But besides those two positions, which I don't think – that many teams in the world are very deep at left back and right back. Yeah, I'm just confident. I'm just really confident in Mexico. You're right. And you, I mean, and you see, like we brought off, we brought Lozano off the bench, and he almost had that goal. He almost had like that assist to Chicharito as soon as he got off the bench. So, and who? And that was our third sub. Who was the U.S.'s third sub? Michael Orozco. Yeah. He's not even getting playing time in Liga MX. So. No, you're right. Uh, I think. If you're Juan Carlos Sorio, are you thinking to yourself, do you, do you start somebody like Orbelin Pineda in the next game for Hector Herrera? Because, I mean, if if Juan Carlos Osorio, who he's shown that he believes in a guy like Orbelin Pineda because he keeps calling him up, when clearly there's guys like Eric Gutierrez and, and you know, other players who, who are in, maybe not in the same mold, but, you know, have the same potential and can be in this national team and do something. But he's sticking to Orbelin Pineda, so... I'm thinking, if you're Juan Carlos Osorio, do you take the gamble in the next game and you start Orbelin Pineda? Because, I mean, this is a guy you believe in. I mean, you brought him here for a reason, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, in that, that same vein, let's just go go ahead and talk about the next game. Mexico plays Panama. I believe they travel today. Um, Panama's coming off a 1-0 victory against Honduras at San Pedro Sula, which Mexico knows it's very hard to get a win out there. Yeah. Uh, again, Panama is just... We can talk about Panama as a whole. I think uh, Panamanian soccer in general has grown ridiculously. I mean, this is a team that, that was sort of like a joke. If if they even qualified to the Hex, you know, they, everybody just wiped the floor with them. Uh, but what's happened in the last few, last few years is just amazing. Uh, I think uh, the Deli Valdez brothers have, have a huge part to do with it. Uh, just the way they they've grown is is amazing as as a fan in general, uh, and I think this is healthy for Concacaf that you see countries like Panama uh, grow so much in the sport, and they have bright players. Uh, again, every time I bring up Panama, I think of uh, this past. Um, I, I'm not. I think it was the U20 World Cup uh, for the qualifiers for Concacaf, and. 
the way Panama played was was just amazing. There was this group of youngsters that that were just fascinating. That were, they were technically good. They they were tactically sound. I mean, there was, I mean, I can name a few who who are in the national team now. A guy like Fidel Escobar who who's been tremendous. I mean, this guy's definitely. I think he he's playing at Sporting Lisbon right now, and it, it's a matter of time before he gets his chance at Sporting Lisbon. So I mean, Panama is a good team. This is not. This is a team that shouldn't be taken lightly. Again, there's a reason they won in San Pedro Sula. We know how tough it is to to win there, and Panama did it. Uh, but I think if you're Mexico, you're thinking that in this these next two games that were quote unquote were games that maybe two draws would have been enough for or for Mexico. Now you're thinking, look, we. Winning six points from these two games is not impossible. Uh, if you go into the Romel Fernandez and get the three points, uh, this this is going to do wonders for what's remaining in the in the hexagonal. You know? Yeah, like the, you know these these three points. I guess the USA aren't necessarily three points you banked on. You know, going into it, you were just hoping for a draw. Regardless of what Mexico fans and maybe some FMF people are saying that you were really only looking for a draw in this game. You know, we had having. Lost the last four games in Columbus by two to zero, as we all know, as U.S. Soccer knows very well. As don't you think? Side note, real quick, don't you think that U.S. Soccer kind of screwed themselves by constantly promoting dos a cero, dos a cero, dos a cero? Like it almost seemed like even if USA won three to two or two to one, the mystique is kind of broken because it wasn't two to zero. Or is that just me? <laughs> no, you're right. I, I want to be really harsh and just say that, I mean, with all due respect, I, I mean, if I, I don't think any U.S. fans listen to us today. <laughs> with, with all due respect, I, I mean, the thing with U.S. soccer is, uh, look, well, let, let me be honest here. When we're comparing the United States and Mexico uh, as a whole, like, I... For me, it doesn't matter if the United States win or if Mexico win. At the end of the day, when we're talking about culture and folklore, Mexico beats the United States every single time. I mean, the United States is just as much as people will maybe criticize me or, or say whatever. Uh, but the United States is not a country that lives for soccer like like Mexico does. So when you are the U.S. Soccer Federation or whoever it is, and you're trying to promote the game, you try your hardest to create that folklore, to make people feel like, you know, there is some history behind this team, uh, you know, where there's moments in, in, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years, three years ago, 30 years ago or whatever, where you can look back and say, look, this is why I'm a U.S. soccer fan. This is why I follow this national team. But in reality, we know that, U.S. soccer hasn't accomplished a whole lot of things. I mean, even if it locally, when you look at Major League Soccer, there aren't moments where where you look back and you think to yourself, wow, do you remember when Galaxy won that game in penalties? I mean, epic moment in U.S. soccer. You know, there isn't moments like that with U.S. soccer. As opposed to if you're a Mexico fan, you can we can all look back and, and be like, hey, Raul, do you remember when when Club America won that game against Cruz Azul in that Liga Américas final, I mean, wow, that was amazing. Like, we can all look back and, you know, think back, you know, this is why we follow Liga Américas. This is why we follow the Mexico national team because it's moments like these, moments of folklore, and, you know, that just stick with us that we can all talk about and be be a part of. U.S. soccer struggles in that sense. They, they sort of have to come up with something when there isn't nothing, if that makes sense. 
So I maybe I'm being harsh, maybe I'll be criticized, but that's how I feel if if I'm being honest with you. I'm just glad they're done. I'm just glad those settles done. I mean, <laughs> I'm just glad. It's just it, it was just I didn't catch much of the pregame show, but I know others did, and people were just tweeting like it feels like all these announcers are just trying to see who can say those settle more than the next guy. <laughs> yeah, it's again for me. It's just a matter of. It's it's just there. I mean, they're trying to create something when when there isn't something there. And Dos Acero is let's be honest, it's it's catchy. If you're, I mean, it's so easy to say Dos Acero. <laughs> I hope U.S. Soccer doesn't sue us for saying Dos Acero since I think they tried to trademark that. So, yeah, the FMF should just troll them and troll and uh, trademark Dos Acero. See what happens. But um, yeah, Mexico, Panama. Mexico is going to be missing uh, Carlos Vela. Like you mentioned, he's going to go back to Spain for the birth of his first child. Um, Salcido is got that red card. Yeah, he's suspended. Um, he's actually went going back to Guadalajara to take care of some personal stuff, I guess, before heading back to Italy. I don't know. I don't know what the Salcido. Um, and then Guardado was hurt. I think maybe I haven't heard anything official, but probably a couple weeks out for PSV. And yeah, every, besides those three, um, do you see Mexico? Who, who do you see popping into Mexico's starting eleven? Well, we didn't talk about Alfredo Talavera. He looked shaky. He looked. He looked like he always does when he puts on the Mexico jersey. You know, he. I mean, he did have, you know, several nice saves, but there was no confidence with him back there. I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe I'm a big Memo fan, but just something about him being back there doesn't, you know, strike me with a lot of confidence and. I know he does well for Toluca, and I, 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 we all knew he was going to start just because he's quote unquote good in the air. So, but I don't. I mean, I can easily see him starting Ochoa. Yeah, I think if you're Osorio, you, you're thinking to yourself, maybe you start Ochoa here. He just didn't, like you said, he did not look comfortable. Uh, I don't know. It's maybe he's he has that Uguayala syndrome. I don't know. Oh God, Ugo, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's just players who who don't look comfortable when playing with the Mexico national team. Uh, what do you always say, Rafa? You say la camiseta pesa. La camiseta pesa, yeah. It's it's tough. I, I don't know what to say about that because again, like you said, we we recognize that he's he's a talented goalkeeper. He's probably one of the better ones in in Liga MX. And he's just he just doesn't play well for the Mexico national team. And well, let me ask you this question here. We always talk about we rave about Mexican goalkeepers how, how they're underrated. They're very good. But are, are we going through a phase where you know, despite them being really talented and all, they're just not in the best of forms? I mean, all three of them, or all five, or whoever we consider are in the Mexico national team uh, pool of goalkeepers. I mean, if you're going on club form, Talavera's doing, you know, he's doing well. But, like, you're saying, sometimes that club form doesn't translate over to the national league form. Same thing with Ochoa. He might be doing terrible or not playing, but then you put that Mexico jersey on, and all of a sudden he's, like, the best goalkeeper in the world, you know? So, I don't... I mean, besides Talavera's on a, on a good, not great, you know, on a middle, mid-table of the Luca team, right? 
Well, they, they have a chance of making the Legia yeah. this next weekend. Yeah. Um, and then you got Ochoa on a terrible, terrible Granada team. And you got Chuy on a Cruz Azul team. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Let's, yeah, Cruz Azul. Let's ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, you're right. They might be all be struggling right now, so... Well, for me, for Guillermo Ochoa, I mean, I think back with uh, Granada and he had a he had a really good coach. I know they were struggling and they were losing games, but uh, the coach they they had was you know, his philosophy was was sort of more like play out the back and let's attack teams. I mean, it doesn't matter if uh, we have a team full of scrubs, we're, we're still going to go all out and attack Real Madrid, Barcelona, whoever it may be. And that was good for for Guillermo Ochoa because that means he, he he got used to a style of play that that was different that that involved him you know having the ball on his feet you know playing out from the back and uh, playing long when he when he needed to it it was it was sort of good for the national team because the national team sort of plays that that same style of play uh, but now that he changed coaches I think he, it 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 was not only detrimental for for his national team career. But considering that he's only on loan with Granada, uh, I'm not sure if the coach. Well, it's still early. I mean, you never know. He might win him over. And I know he's starting right now, but it, it doesn't bode well for for a guy who's only there on loan. So I can give Guillermo Choa that. Uh, but I mean, Talavera again. I, he's doing well, like you said, but I just don't know. I can't explain why he just doesn't play well with the Mexico national team. It's, I don't know, it's one of those things. I mean, there's always players like that. We talk about, like, Ayala. You know, it's one of those players who rock solid at Tigres, but you put that that green jersey on, and he's just like, we're out there thinking, what the hell is he doing out there? What is he doing? Yeah. All right, so what about Jonathan Dos Santos? Do you see him starting? Um, well, I guess it comes down to this. Is he going to play... Is this going to be similar to the Honduras game where Mexico kind of tries to absorb pressure for the first half and then in the second half just goes all out of attack? Do you remember that game? Yeah. If it's going to be set up like that, I think he's going to go with five in the back. Well, maybe three in the back, but five in the back really, you know? The three-five-two formation? I yeah, can see him because, doing that. Because I was here, one of the things I thought was we haven't talked about was Giovanni Los Santos. I thought Giovanni Los Santos had a decent first half, but just like the team in the second half, he completely disappeared. I don't know if he even touched the ball in the second half. Yeah, he didn't get on the ball. I mean, I, I don't know if that was, I don't know whose fault that was, but I think you know the U.S. just kind of ran wild on the on Mexico in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I thought Giovanni Los Santos was essentially doing his his job in the first half. He he was sort of getting the ball and spreading the ball out wide. Uh, sort of like he did against uh, New Zealand, uh, that one friendly where I thought he was really good. Um, but in the second half, he just completely, I mean, completely disappeared. I, I don't think I saw him touch the ball once. I didn't think, I thought the producers just didn't even care about putting the camera on him because he just completely disappeared. I don't know if he was even on the field because, I mean, he was just like a ghost out there. But um, I thought to myself, who has the characteristics of doing something like that? And I thought Jonathan Dos Santos, uh, which we don't think of him much as a number 10, but I thought to myself, you know, giving Jonathan Dos Santos a chance of playing as a number 10, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. 
but it sounds uh, it might be a little extreme <laughs> for Juan Carlos Osorio, but because uh, didn't he play him as a number ten against Panama last month? Who? Mm, cool. uh, oh, Jonathan dos Santos was not in the call. Oh, right? I was thinking, I was thinking Gio. No, my bad. No, uh, I'm thinking about Jonathan dos Santos. I'm, getting my, I'm getting my dos Santos mixed up. Yeah. So JDS has a as a number ten for for GDS. So I, I'm thinking maybe you can do that. I don't know if Juan Carlos Osorio looks at him that is an alternative. Uh, the thing that Jonathan Dos Santos doesn't have going for him is that again he's been injured in the last call up, so uh, putting him on against Panama in, in a situation like that when you never really tried him out in a professional game, it's it's kind of hard, you know. I just don't. I know Mexico might be might have like the bulk of the possession this game, and I I just don't want Diego Reyes as the D mid. So you're you're thinking instead of a number ten, you put JDS as defensive midfielder. Yeah, because if if this is gonna be one of those games where their team might be bunkering down, you know, Mexico has a tendency to struggle against those teams unless you have a a Rafa or a Guardado as a D-man who can get the ball moving quickly. Reyes is, for all, I mean, I, I'm a Reyes fan, but he's not that type of player who just, he can play the pivot role, you know? Yeah. I mean, he played well as a D-man in Spain, but that was more of a, it was almost like a two-man D, you know, where he would kind of just come in, scrape up the balls, and give it to his other central midfield partner to pass the ball, basically. No, you're right. So I don't know if it's gonna be one of those games. I would rather have. I would even take Marquez as a D-man over Reyes. I just he's just not a good enough passer to get the ball moving, and that's what Mexico needs. They need to get the ball moving fast because they're loaded on the wings. Let's all again. If you're bringing up Panama as well, who, who just won in San Pedro Sula, you're thinking to yourself: if Panama sits back and plays for the point, it's not the end of the world for them. Four points out of two matches is great for them, especially considering that it's Mexico and Honduras they went up when they went up against. So, I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I could I could see both teams kind of like not trying to attack the first 45 minutes. <laughs> it might make for like, crappy soccer, though. Yeah, like you said, it might be just like that game against Honduras in San Pedro Sula. So, let's see. Who do you think is going to... Well, who's starting a goalie? Talavera or Ochoa? I'd say he brings in Ochoa, just because Osorio going to Osorio, you know? Yeah, same here. I think he's going to go with Ochoa. I mean, I, I think, you know, um, Moreno's going to be there. He's going to be starting as well. I, I think so as well. Uh I would have loved to have seen Salcedo play from the start. but Exactly, me too. He just got suspended. It's funny because, again, in my preview article, you know, we went with the whole right-back thing for Carlos Salcedo. And I think this kind of game would have been perfect for that. It would have worked out, but he got that weird second yellow and then a fight almost broke out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, that's just weird. But, um, so you, well, we, we talked about it a little bit, but do you see Diego Reyes starting at all? Yeah, I think he has to start. He, yeah, I agree. Listen, do you play, do you start Uwaya, who, who hasn't been very sharp? I don't think you, you take that risk. And then there's a guy who, 
who Juan Carlos Osorio likes, and I know he's won fans over as well, is Nestor Araujo. But the problem with Nestor Araujo is that he's just been playing so bad with Santos Laguna. Just Santos Laguna as a whole has been playing horribly. So I'm not sure if you play a guy who's not been in form all season out, up there as well. So that's why I see Diego Reyes getting the start. Yeah, I, I see him starting as well. Um, what about El Sorillo, Herrera? Again, I think this is this is it. If, if you're Juan Carlos Osorio and you trust a guy like Orbelin Pineda, you go ahead and start him because Herrera's just not doing good right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I'm really hoping Jonathan Dos Santos plays from the beginning. Yeah, me, I do. I do too. I think... Uh, I think you have no choice. Is it? I think we're we're all eager to see him play with the Mexico national team. We've we've been deprived of of seeing Jonathan dos Santos play with the Mexico national team, uh, and I think you have to. I mean, at, at some point, if you're calling him up for a reason, the same thing with Orbelín Pineda. If you're calling these guys up for a reason, it's because you see something in them. So now let's see him in action, in an actual game, and see what happens. Man, do you remember in 2010 he was like. His his agent slash dad was pissed that Mexico didn't call him up for the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> that's how long this has been going on. And this rumor that Giovanni Dos Santos didn't want to play because his brother. But then, like he came out and said, "No, it's not true. I'm always gonna play for Mexico." <sighs> it's it's crazy. Huh? Again, I think we've all been deprived of Jonathan Dos Santos with the national team. So let's hope. Let's see what happens. Um, how do you see Mexico improving their defense this game? I mean, is it just going to be as simple as, hey, we're not playing the, our biggest rival away? It's it's tough. Again, with Juan Carlos Osorio, it's just so tough to predict what's going to happen. But I, I like your idea of going with three at the back again, but I, I don't know. you. I, at some point, I, I think... We're definitely going to see Diego Reyes and, and Hector Moreno, in my opinion. And I think we're, we're definitely going to see Miguel Ayun. But beyond that, it's just a matter of... If you're thinking, if you're if you're Juan Carlos Osorio, you always think about the size. And the size difference between the United States and Mexico is, I think, a little higher than than against Panama. I think Panama's not as tall as, as maybe the United States. So maybe that gives you... A, you know, that maybe gives Juan Carlos Osorio the chance to start somebody like Jesus Duenas as right back. I don't know. Uh, but defensively speaking, I think they're, they're going to have a, a little easier time than against the United States, in my opinion. Uh, I think it, you have to worry more about the aspect of, of if you're going up against a panel that sits back, like you said. You bring in a guy like Jonathan Dos Santos to work to anchor that midfield and defense because, you know, he, he's just a little better than a guy like Rafa Marquez, who's you know, going on 40 already. <laughs> so uh, for me, that's that's the main issue here. I think defensively they're going to have a, a bit less problems than, than they had against the United States. I'm like trying to figure out who would I play, who would I even play at right wing back if Mexico did play a 3-5-2 formation? Duenas, yeah. I guess? I don't... So I'd say it's... that would have been perfect because he's been playing that in, in yeah, Italy, yeah. but... Yeah, I don't know who you. Even, hell, I don't even know who you play at right back. 
in a four to in a four four man back line, I guess Reyes. Well, you could play. What I was thinking is you could do Duanas if you play four at the back. You could play Duanas, Reyes, Moreno, and Layun. And Layun, yeah. Do you really want Duanas and Reyes on one side of the defense? <laughs> well. <laughs> But this is it. Well, let's go back. This this past game against the United States before uh, before Mexico changed formation. From my understanding, Juan Carlos' story was going to completely change his philosophy about left footers and right footers or whatever. And he was going to play Diego Reyes as the left center back. So, what if Diego Reyes plays as left center back and he starts Hector Moreno as left back? How about that? That would be interesting. And then, where do you play Layun? Like even as right back. Ah, I can see that. I can see that. But something, some part of me just always wants Moreno in the middle. I just want him a center back. I just, <laughs> I know he's played well at left back in in Holland, but I don't know. I just want him. Do you have Rafa as a center back then? Yeah, that's the problem. I don't know who I see <laughs> as the other center back. Maybe you start with Ayala then. Oh God. See, it's really str- I mean, should we pull a Porto and just start like you in a center back too? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, um, it's it's interesting that that we also didn't get to see Diego Reyes as the left center back. It would have been interesting interesting to see how how that would have unfolded. But because you know Juan Carlos Soli really likes his left footed players, and in a sense, if when you start with two left footed players, that means that you're sort of. Uh, Playing long to to the right side of the field because just by nature when you have two left-footed players on the defense you sort of play long to to the right, uh, which is what he did against Jamaica when he had Raúl Jiménez as a right winger. So if you had two two right-footed center backs against against the United States, that means you know by nature they would have played long to the left where Jesus Tecatito Corona was placed. So I'm not sure. So that would have been interesting to see, you know, because eventually where Mexico ended up being most dangerous against the United States was on the left with with Tecatito. So that sort of would have forced Mexico to sort of play to Tecatito and then move the ball to the right for Vela. So maybe it was good that Jurgen Klinsmann just completely changed his, his formation because it forced Mexico to play more to the left for Tecatito. It's always good for Mexico when Klinsman tries to play a football manager with his tactics. Yeah. <laughs> really, really. Right. I keep hearing from USA fans that it, when USA wins, it's in spite of Klinsman and not because of Klinsman. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think Klinsman, Klinsman got outcoached by Osorio. He just, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's Mexico after the game on Tuesday. They don't pick up World Cup qualifying until March when they play March twenty fourth at the Azteca against Costa Rica. And then on March 28th against uh, Trinidad and Tobago away. So, I mean, these are pretty, these are Mexico's biggest games, you know, at USA. And then, I mean, at home, but still against Costa Rica, who always plays them tough. So, out of these first four games, Mexico's only home one. So. And a lot can happen until March, by the way. So. Oh, man. What are you trying to say? Osorio's going to be gone? No, I can give a lifetime contract right now. He's going to troll everybody and he's going to quit after being Panama. He's going to be Panama 4-0 and they're going to ask him a dumb question. He's going to drop the mic and be like, I'm out. You never know. <laughs> Not doubt it, but... 
Well, finish up real quick. Who we? So one guy we have not talked about at all, Chicharito. Just, it, well, I mean, what do you think? I, I will say this. He the first half I'm surprised he didn't get more touches. But there's something to be said about him making those making those runs that no one talks about. You know, when he makes the runs, he drags the center back out of position, and then that's why there's all that space in the middle of the field. You know. I will say that he does make those things where you know a lot of people don't notice those things, but he was just a little bit of a ghost. But it, it, then again, isn't that t- typical Chicharito? He's kind yeah. of just out of nowhere, and then he, next thing you know, he's got two goals and two touches. <laughs> See, and, this for me. No, go ahead. Uh, and, and he was scored. He he could have had the game-winning goal on that on that uh, cross by uh, Lozano right at the end. It's funny because I had this discussion watching the game while Chicharito, and I said, you know, in a sense, Chicharito is one of the more underrated forwards in the world. I mean, he does everything. He works 100%. He presses when he has to. He makes the right move when he has to. I mean, anybody would want to have a guy like Chicharito on their team. The problem is that at the same time, he's a very limited player. Uh, This isn't a guy who, if you're Mexico and you want to play long, Chicharito going up against maybe a guy like Brooks or somebody like that is always going to lose. I mean, unfortunately, uh, because Chicharito is not the type of player who's going to go ahead and give up, you know, his teammates the second ball or he's going to win in the air. Chicharito's not like that. At best, he's, he, he can make it complicated for his defender, but uh, he's just, he's, he doesn't have the, the physical aspect to the game. Uh, and that's when you think to yourself, would you start Raul Jimenez? And, it's just tough because when you have a guy like Chicharito, you have to start him. I mean, even if you have a guy like Raul Jimenez, who probably would work best in the system, it just really gives Juan Carlos Soria a headache because if you start Raul Jimenez over Chicharito, can you imagine the headlines? You'll see like, oh, you know, Chicharito's, you know, Mexican media would come up with something, you know, something like, you know, like Chicharito's beef with Juan Carlos Soria or something like that. I mean, you just don't do it. It's so. This is probably keeps Juan Carlos Osorio, you know, awake at night because you know you have a guy like Raúl Jiménez who probably works best in this system, but then you have a guy like Chicharito who you have to start just because he's Chicharito, you know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of when both of them played together on the field at the same time for Mexico. I mean, I guess it was a Concacaf well, Cup game, right? Well, they played in both cup as well when you when they had Raúl Jiménez as, as a right winger. But Mexico doesn't really. If you play, let's just keep in mind. Let's just keep this little idea. Mexico plays a three-five-two. Do you play Chicharito and uh, Jimenez up top, and have Jimenez have, have, have Jimenez kind of play as a target man and Chicharito run around? I don't know. I I think the best way to field both Chicharito and Raúl Jimenez is exactly what they've been doing when they've played together, which is play Raúl Jimenez on the right as a winger. And again, going back to my whole football manager tactical analysis thing, when you have two left-footed center backs like Mexico has done when Raúl Jiménez and Chicharito are playing, it forces, you know, let's assume Alanis and Hector Moreno start as center backs. When you have two left-footed center backs, that means that just by nature, because they're the ball is going to go to the left foot, that they're going to launch the ball to the right, because that's just how how it is, right? If if you're going to launch just to be a little more literal, if you're going to 
you know, punch somebody with your left hand, you know, your your hand is basically going to move to the right just by nature, you know? So that's how that's how the ball works. If you're going to launch the ball forward, it's going to go to the right. Where, you know, on paper, Raul Jimenez is supposed to win that ball because he's just stronger. Uh, and, you know, if the ball is on the air, he's going to win the header over his smaller left back. So I think that's the best way you play. You, you launch the ball forward to Raul Jimenez, hope Raul Jimenez wins the ball. And then Chicharito then has the space to move forward for whoever has the ball. If you're going to move the ball forward to Tecatito, then this gives Chicharito space to move inside and, you know, have Tecatito send the cross for Chicharito to finish. Uh, I know maybe this doesn't make sense if you're hearing me speak it. It probably worked best if, you know, I had a, you know, I had a little nice tie and had a board where I can draw this out for people. But on paper, I think that works best if you have Chicharito and Raul Jimenez playing together. Now I don't see Raul, uh, I don't see Juan Carlos Osorio changing his formation completely just to accommodate these two guys. I just don't see it, in my opinion. No, but it's just it's a good problem to have, I guess, when it comes down to it. Yeah, and I think, in my opinion, Raul Jimenez is still. I know I'm, I I always go on this podcast and just speak wonders of, about him, but I think he's one of the more complete Mexican players. Uh, for Juan Carlos Osorio, I think this guy can can basically be, play anywhere you put him. I mean, let's just put Raul Jimenez's right back. How about that? and might. <laughs> I think the decision might have, been, might have been a little bit more tougher for Osorio if uh, Jimenez was 100% healthy. Yeah. He, he still hasn't started for uh, Benfica since he came back from injury. He's just been 20, 30 minutes here or there as a sub. So I guess he's not... I really wouldn't want Mexico to start him if we don't if we're not confident he can go you know at least seventy five minutes. Yeah, and, and I'm sure Osorio is thinking about that too, putting in the in his calculations or whatever. Yeah, but again, these are good problems to have. You don't have Osorio. Yeah, it's just he's, problems you're gonna keep problems are these are the problems he's gonna keep on having since he's gonna be the manager for a while. I think as long as he doesn't any stumbles, you know. What do you think? You think he's going to be good? You think he's going to be our coach for the 2018? I'll tell you what. If he if he struggles at the Azteca, you know, forget about being in the United States. Who cares? Yeah, that's I mean, true. But I think this game, this result bought him the opportunity to at least be the manager through the summer. Don't you think? Yeah. There's but two, again, there's two games in... Um, there's two games in uh, March qualifying, and then there's two more in June. So, I just I think and then it's it doesn't confe- matter. It's, and then it's the Confederations Cup, right? Yeah. I, I just think it doesn't matter if, if you beat the United States five zero in in Columbus. I think if he struggles in at the Azteca, that's that's another headline people are going to grab onto. It's funny. I just saw a. Uh, a tweet about a story with uh, Hector Moreno where they're interviewing him and he says if it were up to him he would freeze Rafa Marquez right now so he makes it to the 2018 World Cup. <laughs> That's a good idea. Oh man. Do a future on <laughs> Alright well anything else we want to touch on before we wrap up? No just well, let's see what goes on on, on Tuesday against Panama. It's it's a game that on paper, again, if you get the six points, it's wonderful for, for Juan Carlos Osorio. Uh, but just watch out for Panama. Panama's a good team there. 
they got a good coach. He's well. Again, let's let's remember they actually played a friendly not long ago, but he's he got a coach who who knows Juan Carlos Osorio well. They're they're a bit contrasting in styles, but uh, it should be a good game. Yeah, well, yep, the game's on Tuesday, and then uh, and then Mexico's off until well, they already announced a friendly in in, uh, in February. Vegas, and I, right? And I think against Iceland in Las Vegas, yeah. And I, not a bad game to 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 attend. Yeah, I mean, I wonder when it. Um, I wonder how close it is to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, but um, right. Yeah, so they got that coming up, and I'm sure they'll announce another one. They usually get, and you know the FMF and some they never miss a miss a chance to get two friendlies in one FIFA window. Yeah, you're you're right about that. Um, let's see. They're gonna, they're gonna need it now after after U.S. soccer doesn't sell out anymore. <laughs> U.S. soccer. That's <laughs> that's national. Yeah, U.S. Soccer was still trying to sell tickets to the to the game in Columbus on on uh, Thursday. <laughs> they yeah. still had extra tickets. That that wasn't a good sight, if you ask me. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't think. Yeah, that the February date is not a FIFA date. No, I think it's gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna be a. Uh... Just local players. Yeah. Oh, great. And then we'll let our game. Yeah, we'll let our game. Yeah, well. All right, well, anything else to wrap up before we head off for the for the night? No, I, I think that's it. Again, just watch out for Panama. They're a good team. They they have good players. And, again, their coach knows Juan Carlos Osorio well. Um, he's Colombian. He's got uh, – he's – He's historic in a sense. He he knows the Colombian game. He, he's a, he's been a an important figure, an influential figure in Colombian soccer. So there's that respect between Juan Carlos Osorio and him. So uh, it's not going to be an easy game. It's not going to be an easy game. All right. Well, you can catch me at the Colorful Kit, Rafa. Where can where can the people find you? At MexicanFootcom on on Twitter. So. Yeah, well, hopefully we get six points and no one gets fired, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, thanks for listening.